Most things don't matter, but the few that matter, matter a lot. Welcome to 8020 Productivity, the show dedicated to helping you do more by doing less so that you can have more time and energy to enjoy life to the fullest. Now here's your host, author, speaker, and productivity nerd, Anthony Sani. My guest on the show today is Dr. Mary Claire Bork. Dr. MC, as she is called by her clients and colleagues, is a clinical psychiatrist and associate professor at the University of Calgary, specializing in mental and physical fitness. She's in charge of mental health and peak performance for one of Canada's top-ranked ice hockey teams, Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as the country's foremost elite ballet company. She's the co-founder of Limbus Movement, a unique workout system that incorporates physical movement with mindfulness to deliver a unique experience. I can think of no one better to discuss today's topic, which is the interplay between body and mind for productivity and peak performance. We cover Dr. MC's top recommendation to her elite athletes and high-power executives for peak performance. We talk about how your body talks to you and how it can help you make better decisions, why mindfulness is so powerful, the secret sauce of what makes her unique workout system, the Limbus Movement, work so well, as well as, as always, we cover Dr. MC's routines and what's her 20%. All that and more coming up on this episode of 8020 Productivity. I do want people listening to know who you are, but I know your, your official title, you have, an, you have a scientific title, and then you have like your job title and all those titles. So tell us a little bit about that aspect. Like what are the different names by which you go and the, the hats you wear, if you will? <laughs> oh my gosh. So, you know, Marie Claire. French. My friends call me MC. Professionally, Dr. Maddie Clara Bork or Dr. MC. All of the athletes I work with call me Dr. MC. A lot of the leaders I work with call me Dr. MC. I'm assistant professor at the University of Calgary uh, Cumming School of Medicine. I am founder of the Limbus Movement. I am a mental health and peak performance consultant for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the National Ballet. And I'm a psychiatrist in addition to that. And I think that's, I think those are, that seems like it. I've told you all of the titles. You know, you're a busy person where you have to stop and think about, are those all the titles I have? Is there more? Did I, <laughs> did I miss anything? I knew you were the mental health and peak performance consultant for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you said ballet. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, how did you get into ballet, mental health and peak? I can see that for the Maple Leafs, the ballet thing threw me off a little. The National Ballet is actually the country's foremost elite company, ballet company. They're a classical ballet company and they're out of Toronto, but they perform globally. Actually, it just so happened that they had heard about my work and they reached out. They needed somebody and I jumped at the opportunity because a lot of my younger years were spent dancing and admiring the previous artistic director, Karen Kane. She was a beautiful dancer and I had the privilege of working with her when she was the executive director of the National Ballet. She just retired and she was very happy about that, but she did excellent, excellent work. And one of the things that the National Ballet, especially over the pandemic, really did was focus on the 
the dancers' mental health, but also the mental health of their leadership team and their teams. They recognized that, well, it was very important for performance, both in the ballet, but also organizational performance. And they really took uh, pretty great steps to ensure that their people were being cared for. And I really res- I respect that a lot. And it was it was felt throughout the organization. So that's the ballet component. Mm. I loved working. I, you know, I, I spent a lot of years dancing. So like I get dancers. And it was fun. It was good. And I, I, I continue to do it. It is fun. Oh, you continue to dance or you continue to consult for dancers or both? Both. Both. You continue to dance? Okay, okay. Okay, I'm going to circle back to something you mentioned about how important mental health is for performance. But I do want to talk a little bit more about the dance thing. Is Is that related to Limbus or do you actually still do ballet? So I I still take dance classes. Mm -hmm. Nothing related to Limbus. I I. Don't well, that's a lie. I sometimes take ballet classes, mm-hmm. but I prefer the more liberal forms of dance. Ballet is very structured. Yep. There's, you know, first for all the positions and it's um there's very specific movements that are considered ballet movements and non-ballet movements. I prefer a more fluid, contemporary. I do a lot of hip hop classes. Ooh, but I, I shouldn't say I do. Mm. This one's pre- COVID since, you know, since lockdown started and I have not gotten back into in-person dance classes. But for instance, my husband got me for my birthday. He got me, you know, private dance lessons like that is I I love dancing. All right. I love moving. Yeah, moving. Okay, we'll we'll come back to moving for sure because Limbus movement literally has the word move in it. And I'm really curious to delve into why and how and the thinking behind Limbus, the Limbus, move, Limbus movement and the Limbus movement, I imagine. But you said something that piqued my interest earlier on. You said organizations are starting to realize how important mental health is for performance. So tell me more about that. Like, what, what, what do you see with organizations regarding this focus on Toronto, on, not on Toronto, but this focus on mental health? And why do you think that's becoming more and more important? Athletes have always known, or sports psychologists have always known, that the mental side of performance is a very important part. You know, a lot of people are quite similar with regard to their athletic prowess. Mm. And when it comes to actually performing under pressure and performing when time matters, the differentiators aren't typically how much you can lift or your physical quickness. It's are you able to perform the way you want to perform when it matters. So uh, like we've we've known about this a long time for athletes. What I think is becoming more and more common in organizations is they're starting to think about their employees and their leaders not necessarily as athletes but as performers. They're they're demanding certain outcome, they're demanding certain performance measures from their employees, their leaders and they're starting to say okay, where's our absenteeism coming from? Mm. And a lot of organizations are looking at the, the mental skills as the, the next kind of differentiation, the next differentiator with regards to, well, athletes for sure, but also just organizational health. If you look at organizational health, what are the key performance indicators of an entire organization? And the people often, more often than not, have a lot to do with that. And people have to be present, mentally yes. present in order to be able to produce the outcome that is demanded 
from the organization. So I, I think that's happening more and more and more. There are also really exciting things that are happening with regards to mental health, just looking at it from a preventative perspective as right. opposed to a reactionary perspective. Additionally, the stigma is decreasing. It's not gone by any means, mm. but it is decreasing. And people, especially the younger generations, have normalized looking after their mental health right. as a top priority, even, you know, even as recent as uh, the 2020 Olympics, like greatest of all time gymnast, Simone Biles, actually withdrew from the all-round event because she wanted to focus on her mental health. It was clear to her that she was not performing at a level that she that she could because of her mental health. So to me, that, that takes a lot of courage. But I also see that as a transition from kind of older generation where you don't talk about that. You don't mm. talk about your mental health. Yeah. You don't talk about anything like that. You're just like you suck it up and you pretend like everything's okay. To the younger generation, they've, they've grown up speaking about mental health and considering mental health as a priority. So I also think that as the workforce has more of those People in their organizations are forced in a good way yeah. to consider these aspects. Hmm. So what, what percentage, if you had to put a number to it, of performance would you say depends on mental health? Now, not just athletes now, even just maybe the executive in the office, maybe the creative person who, who's trying to, the entrepreneur, you know, just, and if you, if you, if you had to put a number to it, how much of it would you say is mental versus skills and physical ability? I think that's a very hard question. I don't mm. know that there's a number and it would vary from it would vary from somebody who's working in the oil field okay. who clearly has to be attentionally focused and concentrating in order to prevent catastrophic disaster. So there's a lot of skill there, but there's also the mental side of things where you have to, you have to be attentive. You have to concentrate. You can't be concentrating on your anything else other than what you're doing. So you actually right. have to be mindful. It's that's mindfulness at its yes. core, being in the present moment aware. So I would say that that, you know, you need to, you need to be able to really uh, be mindful. Perhaps somebody who's working at a grocery store checkout line, maybe the amount of attention yeah. necessary in order to prevent catastrophic disaster is not quite as, as quite quite as high. So I think it's hard to tell. I do think though that without mental health, it is very difficult to perform. And without the concentration and the capacity to actually be present, mm. it is hard to it, it's it, impossible to perform at your best. Right. Right. So regardless of the field, we all need to be in a state of mental health to be able to actually do our, I mean, it, it sounds like there is the job aspect of it from what you've said. So the person on the oil rig or in the oil field, there's the job aspect, but then there's also the person's experience of their work as well, right? And it sounds like both of those things are tied into their state of mind. Yeah. Yes. And in addition to that, the person in the oil field, if if they're worried about something that's taking their mind away, then they're way more likely to miss something and literally have a catastrophic disaster. I know very factually that a lot of oil companies, like I've worked with oil companies because they know that 
mental health and uh, psychological safety are so, so key to physical safety as well, especially when you're working in um, in environments where physical safety, there are a lot of hazards. You have to be present. You have to be mentally present in order to avoid the physical hazards and in order to avoid making mistakes. We know very clearly that somebody who's depressed or anxious is likely, way more likely to make mistakes, way more likely to miss things than somebody who is not depressed or anxious. We know that people who are having financial difficulties or thinking about their marital issues are much more likely to make mistakes or underperform compared to somebody who is not worried about those things. So there there I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of things that go into there are a lot of things that go into performance and certainly mental health. Just having the the lack of illness produces better outcomes when it comes to a lot of work. Interesting. I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I know people listening to this are thinking you know, you're this fancy expert, this consulting for all these big companies, Toronto Maple Leafs, the National Ballet, and they might be thinking, you know, those people have the big bucks to pay for your expertise. But if a person listening to this wanted to get maybe three or four tips from this consultant who consults for all these multi-billion companies for their performance, what would you tell them? What do you tell these high-performing athletes? I tell them a lot, but mm. if I'm going to kind of give you the the three or four most important things mm. for peak performance. Number one, with without a doubt, mm. is getting adequate sleep. And I know that's that's so standard and basic, but getting adequate sleep is by far, by by far the most important thing you can do for your mental performance. Okay, Paul, I have to interrupt you. You're, you're kidding, right? Number one is sleep. Yeah, no, that's the, the brain needs sleep to work. That's like the easiest thing in the world. Why does it crack number one? Like, because it is the most effective. It is the most effective thing that you can do for your brain. Tell your me brain more. Performance. Tell me more. Well, think, think about it. Just mm -hmm. think about it very anecdotally in your own life. When you are tired, have not slept, you are, well, just from, from a very data perspective, you're mm. more likely to get in a car crash. You're more likely to act impulsively. You're more likely to make mistakes. You're more likely to not be able to use that big, juicy part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex that allows you to sequence, organize, action, and plan. You're not able to problem solve nearly as effectively. You're not able to pay attention. And when you can't pay attention, you can't do the things that you need to do if you're not actually attending to your tasks. So the brain needs sleep to perform, period. And, you know, those are the reasons, <laughs> those are the reasons why there's nothing else that you can do that's more effective than that. Amazing. You can me practice meditation mm -hmm. and mindfulness and that will give you some of it. But if you're exhausted and your brain's tired, it won't do anything. Yeah, you'll just fall asleep during the meditation, won't yeah. you? <laughs> Your body be like, this well, whole meditation yeah. thing, let's put it on the side. I need me some sleep. I'm just going to lay down here and just fall. Okay. You see, what I like about this is this is something that's within everybody's reach. If you have a place to lay down at night, you can sleep more. So that's amazing. I love it. So that's number one is sleep. Okay. What, what would be number two then for you? Number two, I'm going to actually say mindfulness. And when I say mindfulness, I used to think about some hippie levitating on the top of a mountaintop, like smoking some stuff. But really, 
all mindfulness is, is the capacity to be in the present moment in an unjudgmental capacity. So the simple capacity to be present. So here physically, and when I say physically, I mean like time space. So time, you're not in the past. You're not in the future worrying about what's going to happen. You're not dwelling in the past. You're not in somebody else's head. Mm. You're actually just physically present in the here and now. And when you're physically present in the here and now, your capacity, mentally present in the here and now, your, your capacity to perform, to problem solve, to action, to organize, to see things from a creative perspective. And again, that non-judgmentalness, again, removing the judgment, because when, when you add judgment, you, you become very myopic and, and you can only see things from a very linear perspective perspective, that non-judgmental component, your capacity to problem solve and to create and to organize and action and perform and pay attention is much, 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 much greater. I, I can't solve problems in the future. I can't solve problems when I'm in somebody else's mm, head. Mm, mm. I'm so good at solving problems when I'm aware of the here and now, right, present, right. non-judgmental, able to see big picture. So that's the practice of mindfulness, the practice that goes, that allows you to draw on that present moment awareness like that, that can differ. And you can do things like guided mindfulness, guided imagery. I like to do meditation. There's different types of meditations that you can do, but really the, the, the practice or the performance, performing mindfulness. So again, being able to be in the present moment in a non-judgmental capacity, mm. you need to practice that. And to practice that, you can do imagery, meditation, whatever it is that you, you can do. You can do breath work, any of those things. So a lot of uh, very basic skills is, is breath work, right? So you breathe in and you yeah. breathe out and you do that over and over again. One of the, one of my favorite breathing techniques is actually the box breathing technique. So. Okay. Okay. You Tell me about in. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You breathe in. So again, the reason that breathing is so important is it's twofold. Breathing always happens in the present moment. Never happens mm. in the past or in the future. Yeah. Doesn't happen in somebody else's body. So it actually allows you to get focused on uh, a point uh, that is in the present moment. And again, in order to be in the present moment, you have to be aware of what's happening in the present moment. Your breath is always there. Unless you're dead, then this is then, then it's a pointless. point. Yes. We're done. We're done. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mm. Reason number two mm. is that physiologically, um, there's this nerve called the phrenic nerve and it's attached to our diaphragm. Okay. So when we activate our diaphragm, the phrenic nerve is one of the main nerves in our nervous system for the parasympathetic nervous system. So we have a sympathetic nervous system, mm -hmm. a parasympathetic nervous system. It has nothing to do with your capacity to be sympathetic or empathetic. What are you reading my mind now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Many people have asked. This is not my first time I'm talking about this. <laughs> sympathetic nervous system allows you to fight or flight or to perform. If you need to be giving a talk, your, your sympathetic nervous system is increasing your heart rate. It's dilating your pupils. It's increasing your vasculature, it's increasing your temperature. So you're, you're ready to go, which is, is good in some components, but oftentimes it's like a go, 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 fight or flight. Right. Parasympathetic uh, nervous system is their rest and digest. And this is really mm. what we want to activate when we want to get centered in the here and now. So the phrenic nerve, again, attached to your diaphragm, is uh, one of the big nerves for the parasympathetic nervous system. 
And when your diaphragm is activated, it gets activated. And then it allows your brain to say, oh, like I'm actually okay. I'm present. Nothing is like, there's no need to fight or flight. I can be present and it's okay. So that's why I like the breathing exercises. So the box breathing exercise is you breathe in for four. One, two, three, four. It's like you're drawing a box. Mm -hmm. You hold for two, three, four. You breathe out for one, two, three, four. You hold for one, two, three, four. So you're you're drawing a box and you can draw it with your mind or your breath. So breathe in, two, three, four. And so Dr. Mary Claire is drawing the vertical line right now for those of you listening. Three, And that's a horizontal line. And then down, another vertical two, line down. Three, four, hold, two, three, three four. four. So that's the box there. It's the four-sided figure. So you're drawing one line up for four, one line across for four, one line down for four, and then the closing the loop, as it were, for the last one. Now, okay, okay. Yeah. This, this is really good because, see, when I wrote the book, The Law of the Vital Few, I have a whole chapter talking about mindfulness. And I found a lot of material pointing to breathing, but none of them mm-hmm. explained it in, in such clear terms as you have now. Because I think for centuries, for thousands of years, people have talked about the breath, the breath, the breath. But what you've provided for me at least, and probably for those, for those listening as well, is a scientific basis. Like there's actually a nerve that changes your mental state with breathing. That is huge. Like that's, mm-hmm. not, that's not pie in the sky at all. That is real stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your mind can affect your body. Your mind does affect your body Mm. and your body does affect your mind. It is not a one-way street here. Mm. So we can very easily affect our mind Mm -hmm. by using our body. And part of our body is our breath. Fascinating. Fascinating. So the first thing is sleep. People should get more sleep. And the second one you've talked about is adequate sleep. Get Adequate. adequate. Oh, not necessarily more, but as for what is adequate? Well, adequate sleep mm. is, if I asked you, mm. how much sleep do you need to perform at your bed? You would probably have an answer for me. Yes, um, seven and a I half. I have an answer. Yeah, I need eight and a half. Some people need six and a half. Some people need nine and a half. But intuitively as adults, because we've lived in our own bodies for a few decades, we know how much sleep we need to perform at our best. That is how much sleep you should get. Period. Is it possible to be so out of tune with your own body, maybe from years of caffeination and overwork to not have a clue? And if that's the case, what do you do then? Like with the athletes, well, work, I'm sure the athletes are different, but like, what do you say to someone who's like, you know what, I've been, I've been down in five cups of coffee every day for like 10 years. I've been overworked. I don't even know how much sleep I need. Yeah. Usually people know, like usually Mm. if you kind of push them, they'll pretend that they don't because they don't actually (laughs) want to take a look at their own behaviors, which is very different than not knowing. So not wanting to take a look versus not knowing are very different things. I have not wanting to know often. Mm. And if you actually ask them, people, people know, like people know if they want to keep downing five cups of coffee, then, then they won't then they won't actually have this conversation with themselves. Mm. If they're thinking, oh, maybe this five cups of coffee thing every like couple hours isn't actually working. And and maybe, you know, this like chronic back pain that I have is like something to do with my sleep or stress. And like maybe the 10 fights I get with random people <laughs> on the streets could also have something to do with me not getting enough sleep. 
if that's the case, ask yourself, like, when you're on vacation, how long do you sleep? That's a good that's, one. That's, that's probably an indication of how much you need. I like that. When you're on vacation, how long do you sleep? That's a good one. I remember the first time I, maybe the first time in recent times that I went on a mindfulness retreat, I was trying to be mindful. Like the joke from earlier is totally my experience. I tried to be mindful and I just kept falling asleep. And the first <laughs> day or two was just me trying to meditate and just falling off, falling on my butt, just sleeping the whole time. And then it got to a point where I kind of stabilized and then I was okay again. So I 100% agree with that one. <laughs> At least for me, it worked. The first vacation pretty quickly let me know that I was sleep deprived. And yeah, and yep. since then, since then I've, I've, I've been, so that's, in, that's fascinating. So we, we kind of skipped back to sleep because I'm, I think that insight you shared is valuable. And we've talked about mindfulness as the second thing people could do. So practice breath, breathing, and I bet, is there any particular method of breathing you recommend or is it just people should kind of find their own way and just get into it? Well, the box breathing technique mm. that I, that's that I mentioned okay. is a really, mm. that's, that's one of mm -hmm. the many, but mm. ultimately with regards to mindfulness, you, you really have to find something that works uh, for you and that you're going to want to practice. So if you're somebody that hates meditation, and perhaps meditation isn't right for you at this point. Mm. What? That's a thing? That... You can hate meditation? Are you kidding me? Get out of here. Everybody should love meditation. It's just, it, sh it should be the law. Oh, please. When I was originally introduced to meditation, I was one of those people that I'm like, I don't have time to meditate. Like, that's like, whatever. Like, hippies <laughs> meditate. Oh my God, was I ever wrong? And then meditation came back to me at a time in my life where I was open to it. Right. If you are not open right. to meditation... Right. You may not benefit from meditation. If you are at a point in your life where you are open to uh, meditation, then the benefits are substantial. The benefits are substantial regardless, but you have to practice. If you don't practice, there are no benefits. So yeah. do something that you are likely to practice, ah. whether that's a guided imagery, meditation, or just practicing breathing at 8 a.m., 12 noon, and 4 p.m. Or every time... You get into the car, do a little box breathing because you have to be able to practice it in order to use it when you need it. That's a good, I, I really like that. So it's almost like you're anchoring that practice to things you already do. Yeah. Right? So when you're in that space, it's like a reminder for you. Okay, I'm here now. This is when I do this kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's definitely something that I know I could benefit from because sometimes finding the time to get set up is hard. But then if you have these little pockets of time during the day, so that's sleep was number one. Mindfulness was number two. And I mean, we could circle. I don't want to circle back. Let's get through the three or four, however, number, however many you, you come up with for us. So what's number three for you? Like, what do you tell these, these high performers and like, and to help their performance from a, from a mental or physical health side point? So I'm actually not, so this mm. is not actually what I tell the um, athletes. Mm. What I do tell CEO types mm. though is that, that the number three thing is uh, physical okay. exercise every day. The reason okay. I don't tell the athletes that is because they're already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't need to be told that. Otherwise I would tell them for sure. The retired athletes that mm. no longer exercise and that are developing anxiety, depression because they're transitioning from uh, high intensity elite performance sport to nothing. I tell them to exercise. So movement and exercise is actually 
not as important as sleep, nearly as important as sleep, and just as effective with regards to brain performance, brain generation, and overall brain health. Like we're really talking about the brain here Mm, and exercise. Yeah, it's good for your cardiovascular system, good for your neuroendocrine pathways. And it's really, really, really good for your brain. It actually increases the amount of blood vessels that you have in your brain. It increases the amount of something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is like miracle growth for your brain. It helps neuronal development, repair, generation. And there's actually new synapses that form in your brain. Synapses are when one neuron connects to the second neuron. There's actually, the more you exercise, the more new synapses you have. So you're creating new brain pathways. Your brain, we used to think that the brain doesn't change, which is just fundamentally untrue. The brain changes a lot and exercise actually helps your brain change. You can form new neural pathways when you exercise. And, and, what, and what's, traveling, what's traveling through these pathways typically? Information. Your brain is really just a, well, it's a neuro, neuroendocrine. So there's, there's, there's electricity Mm -hmm. that travels from one point of your brain to the other. And that electricity is information. So whether it's visual information, sound information, information from previous memories, information that you were generating by connecting your neural components and creating new concepts that's also information interesting you have to be you have to have time and space and awareness but exercise actually helps your brain develop new synaptic pathways and new connection so it sounds like you're saying that let me let me put it this way if if i want to be almost in a sense more creative if you argue that creativity is about making connections between ideas and thoughts and concepts you're saying that exercising and movement, moving more, can actually help a person who is a person who's a knowledge worker, basically, either a creative person or, I mean, even technical people are creative. They're problem solving all the time. So exercise and movement actually changes our brains on a physical level to be able to perform those tasks better. Yes. Wow. Wow. See, that would explain a lot because sometimes I don't know if this is, tell me if this is, if this sounds right to you. Sometimes I'll be dealing with a problem, right? Maybe it's a a professional problem, a technical problem. Maybe I'm writing something and it's not working. And because I'm working so hard on this thing, I don't make time to exercise as much as I would typically. And then I go out for a good workout or I stand on the deck and I jump rope for half an hour, take a shower. And the next day, poof, the answer just shows up. And I've always thought it was just coincidence, but it sounds like there's actually a lot of science going on. There's, there's some real, there's something actually happening when we physically move. Yeah. When you physically move and exercise, your Mm -hmm. brain actually does a bunch of really cool stuff. It literally regenerates, repairs your neurons. It connects new neurons to other neurons. It, it's an anti-inflammatory agent for your brain. Wow. And in it's addition like, to that, like though, there's Advil. also just... <laughs> oh, no, it's like brain, um, like superfood. It's like oh, brain wow. superfood. Even yeah. better than Advil. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I would also say just hmm. like having the capacity to step away from a problem is also just 
from a very social perspective. Yeah. When you're in the problem, mm. all you can see is the problem. Right. Sometimes problems are best solved, as you know, just by stepping, stepping away. Up. So exercise can certainly give you a lot of, uh, it gives me a lot of clarity. And I'm, mm. I'm not saying that you need to be the most fit or exercise, go to a fitness class. Just exercising, moving, going for a walk. I know a lot of people with children are constantly, well, what am I going to exercise? It's just something else that I have to do. I, I like to challenge that that thought and and look at it as something that you get to do. Like, oh. so we are, as, as human beings, like, we're not that. I mean, we always think of ourselves as super and evolved, but we're, we're not. We're like a little bit more evolved than, you know, apes. Really, like, really, like, we're just a little bit more involved than they are. You just need to go um, to the zoo and watch a gorilla to understand that. It's very humbling. <laughs> but, like, when when they don't get, when animals don't get exercise, when mm. they don't get the chance to move, they are grumpy and they are, like, not nice. I just think of, a, like, my dog. Like, when my dog doesn't go for a walk, she's so mean and she, like, chews up things. And then you take her for a walk and she's, like, happy as a clam, like, Humans are no different. Like, really, we're not different. We need to move to be well. Part of our evolutionary biology dictates that we need to sleep and we need to move Mm. and we need to be mindful, bored, really. Like, yeah, I can totally see how being mindful would help a caveman because you you can't be in the past or the future for too long. Otherwise, you'll be in something stomach, right? Or 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 in their jaws. You had to be present and alive. And it just makes total sense, not just from a spiritual or a, or more of the aspirational standpoint, just evolutionarily, it makes sense that you be present, right? Be aware of your surroundings and your state of mind and your body at all times and not be thinking about too much into the future or even at all or back. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is this is interesting. So, so we got sleep, we got mindfulness, we got movement. Let's stay on movement for a while because I think this is a this is this is a good point to talk about limbus movement. So, tell me a little bit about limbus movement. What was the tell me everything you want to tell about limbus movement, but I'm specifically interested in how you how you created this thing that blends physical and mental what what is the idea, the thought behind it? So as I mentioned earlier, mm. I'm a psychiatrist by training. But prior mm. to being a psychiatrist, I was an elite athlete in figure skating, like national athlete in figure skating and in in sprinting. And I I did my bachelor's in kinesiology and my master's in kinesiology before I went to med school. So I've always been into movement and fitness and understanding movement and fitness. And I, the, the sports that I really excelled at were the sports that I got to be expressive, except mm. sprinting. You don't get to mm. be expressive in sprinting. You just yeah. get to express in speed. But I, I also did this specific type of training in psychiatry, which is, it's called intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, ISTDP. The whole premise behind it is that, which I agree with, mm. is that if, if you do not process your emotions, they will sit in your body. And they will sit in your body and they will just stay there and they will come out in various other ways. They'll come out in ways like defensiveness or irritability or passiveness. What however, there are many different ways that it can that it can come. But essentially in this type of therapy, when you actually get people to pay attention to their actual emotional state, not the emotional state that they're pretending to experience, but mm their actual emotional state behind the anxiety, behind the defenses. Emotions actually want to express themselves in very specific types of movements. So for instance, 
joy. People constantly have this feeling of warmth in their cheeks, open uh, shoulders, and they kind of like want to look up to this guy. Anger. People get this urge to like punch, like mm. like this kind of movement. Like they're shrugging their shoulders. They're kind of punching out. Also, this urge to like kick or stomp. This is just like a physical urge when you get angry. When there's grief or sadness, you get kind of this thoracic curvature. You can get like a little lump in your throat. And these are very, and all of the emotions have very typical patterns of, of movement that are associated with it. And this thoracic um, curvature get, is the is the thoracic in the chest and throat region where you kind of, it's like you're caving in on yourself almost. Yeah, you're like, you're caving in. Okay, your shoulders yeah. are kind of scrunched in. You're right. looking down. You're kind of like hunched. Right. Okay. So I was like, and people are so scared of their emotions. Uh, mm. Some people are so scared of their emotions because we're taught, don't pay attention. They're not important. Just, you know, perform, whatever. And I was thinking, man, I should really get this a treadmill in my office at the hot. I was working at the Foothills Medical Center in Calgary at this time. Like I should really get a treadmill in here. It would be my, it would make my job easier because people, when they're exercising, have less defenses. So when they're moving, there's mm. like, they have less capacity to use all those defenses. My administrator said, no, Dr. MC, you can't do that. And I was like, well, shoot, fine. I'll do something else. So that's when uh, me and a colleague at the time decided to, well, why don't we just invent a group fitness class that actually allows people to express and feel their emotions? And that's what we did. We literally invented a group fitness class designed to allow people to feel their emotions and connect their emotional response to their physical movement. And that's where Limbus was born. And we, we, we have four pillars to Limbus. The first is connecting, so really mindfulness. Mm. And it's about being in the present moment and the here and now, connecting to your body, connecting to your feelings, connecting to your body sensations, connecting to the present moment, not the past, not the future. The second pillar is called uh, challenge. And that's really where Physically, we get the cardiovascular system up. We do some fairly difficult movements. There's always modifications and progressions. You don't have to be in great shape to do it. It's just about challenging wherever you are. So whatever, right. wherever your body is challenging that. And that's when all those self-limiting beliefs come up. That I can't, I'm not strong enough. I'm not as good as X, Y, Z. I shouldn't have done this. Like, who do I think? All of those self-limiting beliefs that come up. But then ultimately, like you actually don't die. Uh, in the process. And I, I, don't, like, I don't think Limbus would still be legal if people died. Yeah. <laughs> during. You don't die. You are still alive at the end of the challenge phase. And then your brain actually does this really interesting thing uh, where it kind of lets go of all of the defenses. I have to look a certain way in order to mm. do this movement. It's like, no, just do, do the it. movement. And eventually you're able to do the movement and you look back and you're like, shit i did that movement, did that movement like, yeah wow like i am actually i am strong i am powerful all of those beliefs are just beliefs that i have in my head they may not actually be factual the third pillar is play and play and this is probably actually very important play is mm. this beautiful thing that we just stop doing at the age of i don't know 14 15 16 because society somebody tells us that we shouldn't play anymore Somebody tells us that we have to be serious. Somebody tells us that we have to follow rules and regulations about being an adult. And part of those rules and regulations about being an adult is that you have to be serious and stop playing. And we do. And, and, and we all do, except when we don't, except when we make it a priority to play. And that's why play is this beautiful thing that in Limbus, 
we have specific movements, but then there's this like little tiny window of freestyling that you literally just move however you want to. And people are terrified of it. And then that like, it, it gets such a reaction. And sometimes mm. people will actually have a grief reaction after the play. Wow. Because they for, they have forgotten. They can't even remember the last time. They just let go. And like played. they cannot remember. Yeah. So, and then the fourth component of Limbus is growth. So that's when your heart rate's already up. Mm. You've like, you're sweating. And the growth component is, okay, let's, the physical component is just the muscle endurance, but the actual mental component is now that all those defenses are down, now that you've kind of gotten rid of those self-limiting beliefs, what is it that you actually care about in life? Like, what do you actually value? Get centered, get grounded, focus on those things and get clear on what matters to you. And that's, that's Limbus. Uh, it's it's and interesting. Oh, sorry, go on, go on, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. It's it's the four it's the four components and mm. we have right now we have all kinds of workouts available on YouTube. We were doing them in person, but mm. because of uh, the COVID pandemic, we were yeah. forced to go online and we did that transition and and there are some exciting things that are coming up with okay. London. But but right now, at this juncture in time, there's some free online workouts. And then what we're going to be doing is really providing people with coursework because what we found was that people love the workouts but they want more they want more of the mental mm, training they want more right. of the mental fitness so right. we're going to be building that out in the in the coming okay so months. while we're on the subject where do people go yeah. if they've if like this sounds and i'm going to come back and talk about some things you mentioned during and in the course of those four pillars but for somebody yeah. listening now where can they go to find out more about limbus yeah, so right now there's uh, www.limbusmovement.com and there you'll find a little tab mm -hmm. that says free online workouts mm -hmm. and you can just press it and mm -hmm. boom, you've got a library of about 40 online workouts that you can do for free. So that's that's where they can go for and now. And how will they find out as these new exciting things come up? Will they be like, would, would you be contacting them? How would they know? Yeah, they can uh, sign up for a newsletter on mm -hmm. Limbusmovement.com okay. and we'll be updating that website as okay. things come out. So that's Limbus like from Limbic. Is it with a Y or with an I? L-I-M-B-U-S movement.com. Got it. Is that anything to do with the yeah. Limbic system at all? Of course it is. <laughs> or no, not? actually no? it's okay. not. It actually okay. mm -hmm. the etiology of the word is uh Greek in nature and it means the um the edge or the boundary. So we really interpret it as um, the edge and boundary between the mental and the physical, and which is how Limbus came to be. Oh, interesting. The, the boundary between the physical and the, and, and the mental. But there was something you said about the four pillars. The last pillar is growth. And I found it interesting that do, 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 the, do the workouts follow that linear, that linear from this to this to this to this, and it ends with growth. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people have that order reversed in the way they approach things. They, 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 they want to start with growth, but then they don't want to process their emotions. Is that something you find to be common with people or am I, am I completely off the mark here in, in making that connection there? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're off the mark at no. all. I don't disagree with you. I don't know that they know that. People want the end results. People right. want the end results. But the end result, just like any end result, you have to do the work. And the work comes with challenging in terms of personal growth it usually mm. comes with challenging your status quo 
And sometimes the status quo is repressing your emotions. So mm. the reason it's at the end is that, you know, after any challenge or after anything, any shift, you have the opportunity, you have the choice to stay the same or to grow and to shape, to shift, to change, to make decisions that are more in line with your values. So that's really why the growth is at the end. The growth doesn't happen by chance. It happens as a result of something. When I, you know, when we go, we get, you know, I go to school, I go to med school. I don't, I, I only become a competent doctor after I've done all of the work and the challenging thing and seen all of the scenarios that, oh shoot, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Mm. I better find out. That's when the growth happens only after that. It doesn't happen just because I go to med school. It happens from the work that you do and the challenges that you have while you're there. Interesting. That's, you know, that's such a, it's something that sounds so simple, but a lot of people don't, don't live that way. Cause I know someone who recently finished an MBA and they were told like, if you're just showing up to do an MBA, you're not going to get a lot out of this MBA. You have to have almost like not the word motivation gets thrown around a lot, but you have to get your hands dirty. You have to get involved. You have to be looking for something to get the most out of the MBA. Like you said, you have to do the work to become an MBA, not just to have done one. Right. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, it's like you have to do things books, on purpose. On purpose. That's exactly right. That purposeful engagement with the thing. Okay. I, I don't want to lose track. So we've, we've, that be it's like a Russian doll, right? You open one and then there's more inside and then there's more inside yeah. and there's more inside. But I'm really glad we got to talk about Limbus Movement because that's one that um, was really big on my mind. And you mentioned the edge. So the edge between body and mind. And you had said earlier on that the, the mind influences the body and the body influences the mind. How does that play? Somebody listening to this down that's thinking, okay, we've talked about mindfulness and movement and all that stuff. In, in your work, perhaps with executives, and how does this play out for you in the, in the average day for someone who's maybe at a desk or, or you know, at a computer or whatever? How does that interplay translate and how can we manage that? That body yeah. influencing mind, mind influencing body thing. One of the first things is to become aware. I, I always talk about awareness of what your body is telling you because oftentimes we ignore what our bodies are telling us. So for instance, I'll be talking to an executive. I'll say, you know, how's, how's it going today? Let's say for instance, how's it going today? Yep, fine, 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 fine. <laughs> and like, you can see that their like chest is like shallow breaths yeah. and their shoulders are up to their You can see their, their shoulder blades through their blouses or shirts or whatever. I'm like... Well, let's take a step back. Like, mm. is that, you know, are you, are you just saying that to, to comfort me or to comfort yourself? Or is that truly how you feel? And if it is, like, what is your, what is your body telling you? Because it doesn't appear, like your body appears to be telling me that you're super stressed. Like you might be on your sixth cup of coffee. So and I would always, number, <laughs> yeah, I would say that number one is mm. to, to really become, and that's again, that mindfulness component is to become aware of what you're body is telling you our body gives our body when we allow it to gives us such such valuable data and the more we listen to it the more we trust it mm. the more valuable that data is and the more ready our bodies are to actually give us that data so i i always talk about listening to your body and there's you know there's not a lot of actually that's not true i talk you know it, there is such thing as a gut feeling and that gut feeling or intuition it's really just becoming aware of our 
of our body because evolutionarily we are still animals. We have not lost that capacity to have instinct. Uh, and I don't mean instinct about other people. I just mm. mean instinct about decision. Like even when we're making decisions, sometimes our brain can overtake and we don't listen to our body. And those are typically the times that, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have made that decision or right. I should have chosen right. something else. Right. There's never been a time in my professional life that I've asked anybody, do, do you ever, do you, have you ever regretted listening uh, to that inner to that inner voice, that gut feeling. Like, have you ever actually regret? Nobody has ever said yes. Everyone has said, no, I've, I've never, whenever I make a decision based on like my, like my true feeling, my body, mm. my mm. body feedback, it's always the right decision. It mm. might not seem like it, but it, it always, it always is. Like our body is pretty good at telling us what to do. But we're not listening half the time, right? Well, a lot of us are not listening. Yeah. yeah. Or a lot of us are not aware. Not aware. A lot of us are not listening, not aware, not, not looking. And again, that, that comes, again, that's why that mindfulness piece is so important is to just right. be aware of what's going on in the present moment. And, and part of that present moment awareness is our body. You can, you can use like the fancy term and call it biofeedback, mm. or you can just be like, Listen to what your body says. Listen to what your body says. Is this language, like the language the body speaks, is it some, is it very specific to the individual? Is it semi-universal or is it universal? Like if, are there certain telltale indications that would let you know this is what your body's trying to tell you? If somebody was thinking, okay, if I feel, if my body behaves this way, that means X or Y, or is it something you kind of have to feel out for yourself? Well, if you, if there were, we're not that different from one another, quite frankly, like we're, we're really not, we always want to think that we're super unique, but we're not. You're saying, um, we're not, you're saying I'm not like this unique thing. That's only one kind of me ever. And that I'm not completely different from everybody else like that. And special like that. You are, you are different. Your brain is different. Like in terms of what it has, like the, the data that is consumed, but our neurological and our endocrine processes and all of our physiologic no, we're like, we're very similar. <laughs> so usually if, you know, you're thinking of a decision and, and you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do that. And then your body instantly reacts with like that. Ick. You know, that ick feeling yeah. that you get like, ugh, yeah. I don't even, it just, ugh. Yeah. it's probably not the right decision. Like you probably have made the wrong decision. If you make a decision and your heart starts pounding and your throat starts to close, it's probably right. not the right decision. Yeah. If you make uh, a decision and it's a hard decision and you feel like, there's a hundred pounds that have been lifted from your shoulders. It's probably the right decision. Very interesting. I like I like how you balance the two sides because a lot of times people will will focus on the negative side, like the first two you said, like the bad decision side. But then we don't even know how to find a good one, and I find that to be so true. So you're right. Maybe I am not entirely unique like that. <laughs> but it's true. The other day, I, I, so one of the things I just started doing, obviously, as you know, is this podcast. I, I signed up for some coaching with, a, I, where I'm working with a business coach. I'm doing a lot of different things. And there's this other activity that I used to do. And, you know, I'm following my own advice. I'm saying there's finite space. If you, mm -hmm. if you bring more stuff into your life, something has to give. And I always say something should give. That's what I believe, right? But I was struggling with this particular commitment because it was an emotional commitment. And then eventually I 
summoned up the courage, wrote the email to the group and said, hey guys, for the next few months, I'm going to be away. I'll reevaluate in next year. And you're right. It, it felt, I felt lighter. I'm not even kidding. It was a physical response. I yes. literally felt lighter. And so that's very interesting that that's, and so what you're saying is that's an indication from your body that, yeah, that was probably the right thing for you to do. Yeah. And you knew that and you probably knew that for like a few months and you were probably carrying some strain mm. and avoiding it, which makes it even worse. And yeah. All of those things. I should have just saved time and it, gone to Olympus class. I'd have like, like right after. I'd be like, yeah, I know what I need to do. Yeah, this whole Olympus thing totally cleared my mind. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just because it's a hard decision, mm. that's like, uh, you can have difficult decisions that are the right decision. True. You know, True. they're either yeah. that, that's, they're not exclusive to one another. Hmm. Cool. Okay. I'll take us two or three levels back up. So what's number four? <laughs> Or are we on number right. five now? If there is, if it's those three, what do we have? We have sleep, we have mindfulness, we have movement. So movement led us down this rabbit hole and here we are. Is there a number four or would you say those top three are the things you would and say? And again, we're talking about like that peak mental performance, right? Yes, yes. And how it yeah. translates to the phys to the performance in day-to-day -day life jobs. The number four would be doing things that you want to do. Oh. You're, you're, nobody is ever going to perform at their best for years and years doing something that they hate doing. They just don't. And, and if they do, it won't be fun and it'll affect everybody around you. Mm. So doing things that you actually enjoy doing. I, I don't mean, and I don't even mean like on your leisure time. I mean, during your life, listening to your values and making sure that your days and your weeks and your months are consistent with those values. Oh, so what you said so, was life. Phew. It sounded like you said wife. No, life. Did I say? Yeah. I definitely okay. meant life. All right. Just checking. Because yeah. he said doing your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what the, what the, what? Okay. Sorry. Go on. No. So making sure that whatever mm. you do in mm. your life is consistent <laughs> with how you want to live your life. Right. Oftentimes I see that people's, people allow life to happen to them and you're going to be miserable and you're not going to perform well and you're going to be constantly stressed or anxious or irritated, mm. but having the purposeful capacity to look at, okay, what is it that I actually value in life? And making decisions based on those values will lead you to do the things that you probably want to do. And right. we're all way more likely to perform at a much higher level doing things that we enjoy versus things that we painstakingly have to do. Ah. Is this something that comes up in your practice with clients? Do you, do you see people sometimes who perhaps are struggling with life in general because they are not doing life, doing their lives? Yeah, not only my psychiatry, but I just mm. I can go to the grocery store and, and it comes up. It, it, you know, sometimes people will have symptoms of depression. So mm. depression, low mood, um, low energy, difficulty with concentrating, difficulty with sleep, and and it will be a very biologic depression and they'll respond well to medication or they'll respond well to psychological therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. Sometimes people will have those very similar symptoms, but they're, they hate their relationship. They hate their job. They hate their boss. They, they never um, do anything that they like doing. They feel completely disempowered continuously. Medication might not fix that. Like it mm. might not actually help that. Right. So right. it's about feeling empowered to actually take control of your life and feeling empowered to 
care about the things that you want to care about, spend the time doing the things that you want to do yeah. and realizing that every single choice that you make has a consequence, uh, regardless of the choice that so people will say, well, I can't quit my job. Well, yeah, you can, but that might mean that you don't have an income and yes. that you, you'll have to have another income or else the power will get shut off. But you do have a choice. As adults that live in Canada, we actually have a lot of choice. Yeah, but all true. of those choices come with consequences. Yes. And maybe Every it's the consequences that people don't like, right? And, you know, I was talking to someone long ago and she was talking about how her life was going and all that stuff. And, you know, she didn't, she couldn't, she did not want to have any inconvenience. She wanted to keep all the conveniences of life as it is, even though she hated her, the state of her life. But then she wanted her life to change at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, something kind of, you know, it's hard. You can't, even if it's for a little bit, even if you sacrifice a little bit, something kind of has to, again, something has to give, right? So I like that. Well, I, if, I like that. Yeah. It's but if, there's no, if you don't make mm. change, like nothing's going to change. Mm. Like if you don't change something, nothing Nothing's going to change. change. It's so axiomatic, right? Okay. Interesting. So you talked about sleep movement, mindfulness, mindfulness, and my short-term memory. I need more sleep. So this is why I need more sleep. Even my short-term <laughs> memory is, is not, is not working for me today. And the, and the fourth one you said was doing stuff you enjoy. Yeah. Doing, doing stuff things you enjoy. that you want to do as now, opposed to stuff that you hate and spending time doing things that you like doing as opposed mm. to passively living life and being not happy about that. Hmm. And we kind of ended that by saying, even if you're not doing what you love doing now, is there a path that you can, that you can get yourself onto that? Right. Yeah. So I like to take the approach of mm. what do you actually value? Not what you've been told to value, but what are your actual values? And in terms of those values, what, what does that look like for you? What does it actually mean? So for instance, if courage is a value for you, what does it mean for you to actually live courageously? Uh, what does it mean for you to live courageously on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Then looking at the differential. So how you're living now versus how you actually would live if you were living fully into courage. Oh. And then looking at that differential and mm. saying, you know, okay, what are the steps that I have? What is one step that I can take to get me closer to living courageously? And revisiting those values, honestly, every quarter, always with that same approach. What are my values? And they're usually that they should they should stay the same. Roughly, I like to pick like four or five. What do I actually value? Not what I've been told to value, not what I think I should value, mm. but what I actually value in my life. What does that mean to me? Very clearly, what does it mean to, what does freedom mean to me? What does stability mean to me? What does honesty mean to me? What would it look like if I'm living 100% in courage, freedom, stability, honesty? And where am I now versus where I want to be? And delineating one or two things that you can do to bring yourself a little bit closer to how you actually want to live. That's very That's fascinating. That's the approach that I like. It's almost like a personal gap analysis, right? Based on your values. Where am I, where am I at? Where do I want to be? And, and two, two things you said, I think people get this stuff intellectually, but two things you've said that, really, that, that are really interesting to me is, A, revisit it. It's not a once and done deal, right? And you're recommending every few times a year, a few times a year. Yeah. Why do you Just recommend like that setting. frequency? Why do you recommend that frequency? Why not once a year on December 31st or something? Well, because people, we tend to get busy and we tend to forget and we look at it and say, oh my gosh, nothing's changed the past year. 
But the more we're reminded of something, the more, I mean, ultimately you could do it every week, quite frankly, but I, I want to set people, I want to talk, tell people to set themselves up for success. Yeah. But I mean, the more you do it, the better. Same thing I do with athletes. I, we work on goals. We work on outcome goals, the process goals. So what's the outcome that you want to achieve? What is the process? What are the things that you need to do to actually get that outcome? Um, and so, of course, revisiting is important, uh, reevaluating, making sure that you're on the right track. And again, it's about the accountability, accountable, to, you're accountable to yourself right. and uh, keeping that accountability to yourself. It's, it's so the language you're using is, is it resonates with me so much because and this is not a plug for my book, even though if you buy the book, it's awesome. But the fact that you use that language, outcome versus process, that's something I actually talked about in that book is sometimes people get so stuck on the outcome goal. And they forget to set a process goal, right? So mm -hmm. I, I want to lose, I want to weigh X amount by December 31st, but then they don't set the process goals of going to the gym or eating healthy mm -hmm. every three or four times a week or whatever. So I'm really glad mm -hmm. you brought that up. And, and I think that's a, good, that's a good mental model for people to have is, yeah, you can have an outcome goal, but to achieve that outcome goal, you also have to think about the process goal. And then from your, yeah. from what you're saying is values is underneath all of that. That's like the bedrock of all of these things, right? It's moving you in the direction of what you actually value. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that was number four. Is there a number, number five? Well, there's, there's so many. I can, there's imagine. So many. can probably uh, keep going, <laughs> but those there, are the top are... four. Yes. If, if we're talking big picture mm. mental performance, mm. those are the top, those are the top four. Which yes. ones do people you work with, whether they be high power executives or elite, elite athletes, which one or two do people struggle the most with in your experience? Elite athletes are really, really good at getting sleep. Like they know the importance mm. of sleep because mm. they've been trained that way. They know that their body needs recovery time. Mm. So they get the sleep that they need. It seems as though like executives, we have this tendency to, to look at sleep as like a weakness. And we have this mm. society that says, oh my God, I'm so busy. It's almost like a badge of honor to only sleep, you know, five, yeah. six hours, four yeah. hours a night, yeah. which is just, it's ridiculous and archaic. And I don't know where it comes from, probably from like a bunch of white dudes on Wall Street. I don't know, but it, it doesn't like, it, yeah. it's not, it, it doesn't add anything. It's, I, I think it's ridiculous. So people struggle with that. And I think it comes from that social construct that, lack of sleep means that you're super important. So people struggle with that. People struggle with, people love talking about values. It, it's hard to action on them. People struggle with actioning on them. Mm. And some people love exercise and some people have lost touch with movement. And oftentimes I find that working with values is it's easier to get people to move because if people are identifying health as a value, or family as a value, oftentimes the capacity to move uh, and be active is, is important for them. And having that motivation as opposed to, I want to look a certain way, oh, the, motivation to, mm. the motivation to move when it comes from, I, I want to make sure that I create more longevity in my life and I'm capable of playing with my kids. And, you know, I'm taking care of my health. That's more motivating than I wanted to fit into a size, whatever. Yeah. So, but again, society too, right? The way society affects 
how little sleep we get, you could you could argue that society exalts looking a certain way so that people gravitate toward that as the motivation for why they they want to get fit, right? And, yeah. I, and I can relate uh, I, with I, that. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I I find that if that's the motivation, people tend to kind of go in and out of the behavior. But I find like working with values, it's just, it has a stronger behavioral motivation, mm-hmm. uh, motivation for behavioral change, because it's about behavioral change. It's about changing the things you do right. to achieve what you want to achieve. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing what people pay tons of money to learn. I mean, obviously there's a lot of value with working with you directly. I know I'm, I'm a coach too. So I know it's, it's one thing to get information. It's a different thing to work with somebody who yeah. handles that information day to day and actually works you through it. But thank you so much for sharing this. For people listening, you know, not there you have it. Four of Dr. Mary Claire Bork's top changes you can make to improve your performance. And I hope you found that um, helpful and useful for yourself. But before we wrap up with, with you, Dr. MC, like there's so many things, so many loops you opened that I'm hoping we'll get a chance to close maybe in a future interview. I know you have to go. You talked about figure skating. You talked about being a sprinter yourself and all these cool things you've done. I, I, I couldn't get to talking about how you even became, how you came to be who you are today. So a lot of things we could hopefully, if you'll come back on the show sometime, we can talk about. But one thing I do want to talk about before we go, or two things actually, the first one is... And I ask this question of every guest is because this is 80-20 productivity, what is your 20%? What is the 20% for you that makes 80 that produces 80% of the results in, in your life and work? The 20% is I'm I'm actually gonna say like that when I give myself mental space, like when I make mm. myself bored, when um like physically, mm. literally, when I make myself bored and give myself mental space, no to do, not allowed to be distracted or to do's. And that is the time that I am my most creative, most present, less uh, driven to distraction, most free to create. So it's it's like the the mental the mental space and those times in my calendar that I very clearly dedicate to creation that don't get sideswiped for any type of to-do or project. It's just create. Amazing. So it's space. Wow. Space. Space. 20% space. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. What were you hoping for? Is that, uh, is that too vague? Too no, no, abstract? no. It's, I, it, that's, it's an open-ended question because I think the value comes from hearing everybody's different perspectives. So there's no right or wrong answer, but that is a thought-provoking answer that your 20% comes from actually not so much what you do as opening up space. So I really like that. And yeah, that's a, that's a cool one. The other thing, and I must ask you this one before we go is what's your routine like? How do you stay productive and you've kind of hinted at it already with the space so it's okay if it's the same answer but i was looking up your i was looking this up here where is it again your you you posted your morning routine on your facebook page a while back and i'm going to read it out for our listeners just so they (laughs) just so they know what you posted here because this was i found this to be very interesting okay here we go okay Meet I forget Mar- what I did, so. Oh, this is going to be so cool. You're going to love this. Okay. Meet Mary Claire Brooks. She's one of the founders of Limbus. Marie Claire, so to say, you know, French. This is her day. Wake up. Start the coffee. Wish the coffee brewed more quickly. Kiss my fiance. Now your husband, I imagine. 
yeah, kiss yeah. my fiance and get annoyed that he's already chipper. I sometimes <laughs> sit and read. <laughs> wow, he, he's chipper. Why is he so happy? I sometimes sit and read for 20 to 30 minutes while sipping my coffee. Walk our dog, Pippa. She sniffs stuff and barks at things. I get ready to go to work at the Foothills Medical Center while having a second coffee. I have a check-in with my executive assistant on the way to work while drinking my protein shake. I go to my busy clinic, and then he talks about all the stuff you do there. I see a number of patients and teach medical students and residents. I usually work out after work, limbus, spin, boxing, or yoga. If my fiance is home, I spend time with him, or I work. If he's away at work, I catch up on paperwork and FaceTime when he wakes up. All right. Discuss. Wow. <laughs> that sounds that sounds way too busy, which is actually why I'm downsized in terms of my busyness. Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me more. Yeah. So right now mm -hmm. my routine is uh wake up, make coffee. Husband is just constantly chipper in the morning. He's awake <laughs> an hour and a half before I am, wakes up at like five. Just you know, because we go for a walk with our dog and then we have breakfast. I'm no longer commuting to anywhere. So I'm working from home the majority of my time of the time. I will, you know, putter around, get ready, sit down at about like nine o'clock, work, either see patients, see clients or great or write or whatever I'm doing. I currently like to work out midday. So if it's nice outside, I'll go for a hill sprint or a sprint or run for about 30 to 45 minutes. During my lunch, I'll grab a shake, have a quick shower um, and get back to work. Then I might actually have another quick workout at the very end of the day. I like to reward myself with workouts mm -hmm. like that. But not too, it doesn't have to be long. Oh, like everybody does that. Everybody a... rewards themselves with a workout. It's not like, <laughs> that's pretty normal. People don't have milkshakes or bear claws or, or, or anything. When I do good, I go and I bust my butt in the gym. That's what I do. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, that's what I do. <laughs> and it's true. Because I, uh, I love it. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I do. And mm. then I'll, I'll make a delicious, I'll cook. I have now have, I have time. I'm able to cook. I cook a lot. And we have good neighbors and we'll go for walks with them or we'll walk down to the lake and go for a swim. My life has become more pleasant and less busy on purpose. Of course, I've made very, very purposeful choices to allow me to do that, which is which is very, very nice. So for context for our listeners, this post, the post that I read was from February 11th, 2019, three days before Valentine's Day, it looks like 2019. And this is being recorded in 2021 in July. So a lot mm -hmm. seems to have changed in that space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I look at my values. And I, I have made decisions based on those values and those values and decisions have led me to be productive in a far less busy way. Fantastic. The encapsulation of 80-20 productivity in a nutshell. And we didn't rehearse that. <laughs> Boom. So thank you so, so much, Dr. M Dr. MC, like, like people call you, Dr. Marie Claire for your time on, on 80-20 productivity. There are a lot of things I still hope we get to talk about. Maybe we'll have you back on the show if, you're, if your schedule permits. But until then, I just want to say thank you for your time and I hope to 
stay in touch. And if people want to follow you, do you have any handles, Instagram or, or LinkedIn or anything that people want to follow you and see what's going on in your world? Yeah. Let me just check. My Instagram is mm. at doctor.mcb mm-hmm. and LinkedIn. I think you can, well, I think that's what it is. So those are my LinkedIn and, and Instagram. I don't do Twitter often. Never really figured out how to use it that well. Yeah, I'm not so a big I, Twitter guy either. Your audio, yeah. your audio, your audio <laughs> cut out a little bit, so the spelling will be in the show notes, and I'll put all of Dr. Borg's uh, handles in the show notes as well for those of you who want to follow her and see what's going on in her world. Once again, Dr. MC, thanks so much for your time, and hope you continue to live on purpose and remember why you started. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Nice to see you. Bye. Thank you for listening to 8020 Productivity. If you enjoy the show, then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you'd like to learn about how Anthony can help you or your organization drive gains through smart, focused productivity, then head over to anthonysani.com. Until the next episode, stay true to your vital few.